You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled The Fight. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. I want to start with a curly question. Is it good to fight? When we consider the loss of lives, the loss of homes and infrastructure, all the injury, pain, emotional stress, loss of basic human rights, displacement and everything else that goes on with war, fighting is bad. But when we consider that when someone is oppressed and they fight for a good cause, for their own rights or for the rights of others, fighting is good, noble and just. As a general rule, fighting for selfish purposes is usually, but not always, bad. Fighting for unselfish purposes is usually good. Fighting is not always physical. Sometimes it is psychological and emotional. Here, in Australia, there are eight organisations to fight for and protect people's rights. They are the Australian Human Rights Commission, the Human Rights Council of Australia, Amnesty International Australia, AusAid, the Australian Council for Human Rights, Education, Oxfam, Refugee Council of Australia and the Change Agency Education and Training Institute. With an impressive list like that, anyone would think that Australia is a great place in which to live. It is. But there are serious human rights issues yet to be resolved, particularly in regard to our Indigenous population refugees and the equality of women besides others the lifestyle we have in this great country of ours is amongst the best in the world although it's not perfect we have many outstanding people champions of justice people who put their personal interests aside for the sake of others to thank for what has already been achieved Fighting has been going on in the world practically ever since creation. But did you know that the Bible condones, in some instances, fighting? Conflict is the result of sin. Where there is no sin, there is no conflict. At one time in my life, I undertook a short course in salesmanship. One of the key points our instructor made was that when a salesperson recognises that a customer shows signs of irritation or resistance, the salesperson must be wise enough to shift the focus of the discussion to avoid an argument. The instructor put it like this, When the wind blows, a yachtsman must take down the sail of his yacht to avoid being pushed along. Critics of the Bible 
are always very willing to discredit the nature of God. They question God's love and justice by pointing out that God actually commanded the Israelites to completely destroy certain people groups living in or near the vicinity of the Israelites. And that's true. God did give orders to that effect. And I too have puzzled over this issue, but have come to the conclusion that the people the Israelites were to destroy were extremely wicked. They were so steeped in their wickedness that there would have been zero chances that they would reform from their evil ways and turn to God. As a result, they received an early judgment. And coupled with that, God warned the Israelites to avoid fraternizing with those wicked nations to protect his people from becoming contaminated. History reveals that the Israelites, unfortunately, did not heed God's warnings and at various times were just as bad as anyone else. Fighting can be aggressive, defensive or both. I want to share with you something first about defensive fighting. In the United States of America, there is is what is known as castle doctrine or castle law. As you probably know, gun control is much more relaxed in the US than it is in Australia. In the US, at least in some states, If an intruder enters your home, the homeowner or occupier has the right to shoot to kill the intruder. That law also applies to motor vehicles, which might be parked just outside. Castle law protects the rights of the homeowner or occupier. On a pro rata basis, There are far less home invasions in the US than in Australia because of the provisions of that law. In Australia, the general rule is that an owner or occupier has rights to protect his own person or property if he or she has reasonable grounds to believe that their person or property is under threat. The law takes into account what it terms as equal force. Based on a situation that occurred in Adelaide some years ago, this is how equal force works. A young male intruder armed with a knife entered the home of an elderly gentleman with the intention of stealing his money and valuables. The old man had a shotgun, preloaded, and when approached by the intruder, he shot him, killing him. The old man was questioned, but not charged. Nor did he serve time in prison. The law said this was a case of equal force. An old man plus a shotgun equaled a young man plus a knife. Now, 
I hope you never have to face a situation where you must protect yourself against an intruder like that. But you may have to protect yourself in some form or another. Maybe you have to protect yourself against discrimination, against bullying, injustices in the workplace, against scammers, or against someone who does not agree with your philosophy or religious choices. You may have to fight for your rights like Jack Phillips did. Jack Phillips was a 62-year-old baker running a business known as the Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. He specialised in making and decorating wedding cakes. Jack accepted the biblical teachings about homosexuality. One day, Jack was approached by two men who asked him to prepare a cake for their wedding. They were Charlie Craig, who was 37, and Dave Mullins, 33. Because of his religious convictions, Jack refused to make a wedding cake for them. Because of his moral stand, Jack had to face court on the grounds that he was discriminating against gay couples. The court argued that Jack had unlawfully discriminated against the two men because of their sexual orientation, although Jack was willing to prepare cakes for heterosexual couples. The five-year-long legal battle represented a test between the constitutional right of free speech and religion and laws prohibiting discrimination against the LGBT community. Those five years must have been very stressful for Jack, who believed he had the right to sell his products to whomsoever he chose. Jack won the case, although further efforts have been made by the Colorado government to shut his business down. CBN News had this to say on December 18, 2018. Phillips and his lawyers are now going on offence by suing the Colorado bureaucrats for their religious persecution. Hunt said of them, Phillips and his lawyers are actually striking back and saying, This is outright persecution. You're not interested in stopping discrimination. You're interested in hunting Christians down. Ellis believes the suit is a smart idea. She said, If Christians are always only on the defensive, then we're going to continue to lose ground. We have to be also making sure that we're standing up and we're standing forward. Ellis and Hunt warn people of faith they should be deeply concerned about their religious freedom, given some of today's leaders and officials. So, should Christians take up arms and physically fight to protect their religious freedoms? Well, some have. 
Perhaps you've heard of the Waldenses. These were Protestants who chose to live according to the pure teachings of the Bible from the 12th century onward. They were very zealous for the Lord and, of course, came under intense persecution. Most of them fled into the deep valleys and mountain country between Italy and France. Wave after wave of soldiers were sent by various rulers acting under the instructions of the Roman Church to wipe out these so-called heretic Protestants. At one stage in the 1500s, they decided to fight back. Duke Emmanuel Philibert sent a military expedition in 1560 against the Waldensians in the Lucerne Valley. The Waldensians' preachers persuaded them to give up their traditional non-violence and take up arms. They fought up in the mountains, and for them it was truly a holy war, like the fight between David and Goliath. Before every battle, the soldiers would pray and sing psalms, while their pastors maintained strict discipline among the troops and forbade any looting. The Dauphine Protestants sent a military support from the other side of the Alps, and the Waldensians were able to make a stand against the Duke's armies. After six months of fighting, the Duke agreed to sign a treaty, the Cavour Agreement, in 1581, and brought back the special privileges and exemptions which the Waldensians had previously been given, and it became possible once more to worship in public even in remote places in the mountains. Under this agreement, a Roman Catholic prince had to allow spiritual dissidents the right to live on his lands. However, sadly, this treaty resulted in the Waldensians having to retreat back to the mountains and stop their spread on the plain. I've read some of the stories about those battles where the Waldensies prepared for battle by setting up great rocks on the high slopes. When the invading troops marched into the valleys, the Waldensian Christians would roll the rocks down and many troops were killed and injured, forcing their retreat. While what they did may have been applaudable, what does the Bible teach? And at that point we're going to stop, have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
Just before the break, I asked the question, what does the Bible teach about fighting? In the Ten Commandments, the sixth one plainly states this, you shall not kill, that is, murder. So that sin then sets a precedent regarding how Christians may fight for the rights to live according to and to practice their faith. Violence is not acceptable. Jesus taught that even murderous thoughts are unacceptable. In Matthew five twenty-two and 23, he explains, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who calls his brother raka, meaning empty head, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. On another occasion, Jesus enlarged on what he said earlier, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 6, 29 and 30. He said, I tell you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him taking your tunic. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So, does what Jesus taught mean that Christians should meekly allow others to walk all over them? Should Christians allow themselves to be subjected to abuse and victimization? Yes, but no. Jesus taught that there is a better way. Violence is not the answer. What Jesus was saying is that Christians should be people with a strength of character that is above physical violence. To turn the other cheek is a non-violent demonstration of superiority. It also shows that a true believer gets his strength from God rather than from weaponry and violence. Matthew chapter 10 has a whole lot to say how a Christian should fight for his rights. I'll read a few selections here of what Jesus said. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. So don't be afraid of them who seek your harm. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I just want to digress for a moment. There are many Protestant believers who hold the belief that after death the soul lives on, either in paradise or hell. But if you consider what Jesus, the author of life, just said, you will see that he plainly stated that the body and soul are subject to death. 
When Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, pulled out his sword and went to his master's defence. In one wild swipe, he took off the ear of the high priest's servant. But listen to what Jesus said. He said to Peter, Put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? The Christian fight is not just against men. It's a fight against the forces of darkness that motivate and control men. Ephesians chapter 12 explains that. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now I'd like to paraphrase that. The Christian's fight is not just against human agencies, but it is against the evil forces that control humans. Those forces are satanic. Now that being the case, swords, spears, guns and so on are not much use. Ephesians 6 tells what equipment the Christian is to use in his fight. Instead of a bulletproof vest, the Christian is to be protected with righteousness. Instead of an ammunition belt, the Christian is to be surrounded with truth. Instead of heavy, tough boots to cover rough ground, the Christian is to be equipped with the gospel of salvation. Instead of a bulletproof clear shield, the Christian is to be protected by his faith and trust in the Lord. Instead of a metal helmet, the Christian needs to understand that he is saved through the merits of Jesus Christ. Instead of an assault rifle or a machine gun, the Christian's offensive weapons are the Word of God and being led by the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, truth, faith, trust, the knowledge of being saved plus the Word of God and the companionship of the Holy Spirit are the equipment the Christian is to rely on in his battle for his survival and for the promotion of the Lord's cause. Yes, the Christian is involved in a fight, and as Christians we are urged to fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and that's from 1 Timothy 6.12. My friends, if you already are a Christian, what is required of you is a close connection with the Lord who will give you the strength you need. If you're not yet a Christian, 
I want to urge you to commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ and stick to that commitment whatever may happen to you. Those who are saved are those who begin and end their life's journey with Jesus. It's no good starting and then quitting. The crown of victory will only be given to those who finish the race or fight, if you like. There will be times when you're tempted to give up. Instead of giving up, be like Martin. Keep on keeping on. Until next time then, my friends, I wish you faith, hope and love and, of course, God's blessings. <laughs>